Okay, this morning we will continue our studies in Isaiah. We are in Isaiah chapter 50. We are going to have a little moment of devotion first. I want to uh, try to encourage all of us to study the Word of God. And um, so what I'm going to start out by doing is I want to read something out of our catechism today, out of our shorter catechism. And that is going to be questions one, two, and three. Okay. The theme of this devotion is the knowledge of God. Uh, Question one. What is the chief end of man? Anybody know? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. All right. Let's see how. Let's get the really good theologians now. Number two. What rule hath God given to direct us that we may, uh, how we may glorify and enjoy Him? The only rule to direct us that we may glorify and enjoy Him is the Word of God, which is contained in the Scriptures of the Old and New Testament. All right, the Word of God, which is the Old and New Testaments, which each of one of us hopefully have before us this morning. All right, now we're getting down to the really nitty-gritty. What do the Scriptures principally teach? Somebody besides this table. <laughs> scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and the duty God requires of man. Absolutely. All right. Nothing but nets. <laughs> All right. Swish. The Scriptures principally teach... All right, the first, what's teeth in a man... Man's chief ends glorify, enjoy him forever. But we only the scriptures, only the scriptures teach us what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. So the Westminster divines in their great wisdom and piety, they tell us that we must that the Bible teaches us what we must believe concerning God. That's the first part of that answer. We can't glorify God without knowing, if you put those three together, we cannot glorify God without knowing about what the Scriptures teach about God. And this is a good uh, time in our studies to look at this for just a minute. Because we're learning a lot about God in Isaiah. And we need to know about God. And so the Westminster divines, they understood that. And they say the only place to do that is in the Scriptures. But you must know what duty God requires of you. Plus, you must know what the Scriptures teach about God. All right, now not only the divines show that this is important, but let's read what the Apostle Paul prays for in Colossians chapter 3. Excuse me, I said 3, I meant 1. Colossians 1, I'm sorry. We'll hear Colossians 3 later. Colossians 1. Let me get there, make sure I give you the right verses. I believe that's it, yes. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of His will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your life will produce every kind of good fruit, all while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. All right, the way they that version interprets it, you may grow while you learn God better and better. Uh, literally, it's that you may increase in the knowledge of God. Paul prays this. He, in the middle of that prayer that he's praying for the Colossians, he prays that you would increase in the knowledge of God. And in Philippians, he talks about knowing God. Knowing God, knowing Christ. So not only are we to know Him, but we are to know about Him. The knowledge of God. So it's vitally important that we study to know of God and that we personally know Him. We need both. Now with the Greek word that's used in Colossians 1.10, it seems to imply both of those. It uses the Greek word epikinosis, which is intimate knowledge of God. Okay, so the importance of slowing down a little bit in these studies and, and studying God and knowing God better is important. So that's what we're doing. If we seem to slow down, I think we have a very good reason for doing that. Okay, now, our um, Scripture reading for this morning is going to be Isaiah 50. We are in Isaiah 50, so turn back to that section. We're in the third of four servant songs. Excuse me. This is... um, Song, this, the third of four, this one is, of course, concerning Jesus Christ. All of them concern Jesus Christ. And on this one, it seems to draw nearer to His crucifixion. As we have read, um, I'll repeat what Derek Kidner had to say about this being the third of ser- four servant songs. He says, after the display of patient gentleness in the first song, and the acceptance of frustrating toil in the second song, here the servant faces the active spite and fury of evil. It is only a step the reader feels to the cross. And in the servant song, some have referred to this as the servant's Gethsemane. Alright, we got around to verse about 8 last week, so that's where we're going to pick up. Isaiah 50, let's um, start, let's start with verse 7 actually, and I don't know who I assigned that to, Isaiah 50, beginning in verse 7, did I not assign? You didn't. Didn't? Okay. Well, Dana, you're next down the line, so Isaiah 50, verse 7 to the end of the chapter. The Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? 
Let us stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let him draw near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is he who condemns me? Behold, they will all wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them. Who is among you that fears the Lord? What that abates the voice of his servant? That walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with firebrands, walk in the light of your fire, and among the brands you have set ablaze. This you will have from my hand. You will lie down in torment. All right, page 61 is where we left off. Um, excuse me, that's my 61. It's different for y'all. 68. Um, yeah. I don't seem to have one, but we are just about through that sheet anyway. All right. We had uh, previously said this God takes the form of a servant. This servant speaks to a, speaks so as to sustain his people. This servant is taught. Remember, Jesus had to learn obedience. Uh, it is responsive and faithful, this servant. He will be mistreated and he will face abuse, according to verse 6. And he will be sustained by God according to verses 7 through 9. Now, I want to concentrate a minute on verse 8. In your notes there, it says, "No, Note that no one can declare him guilty in verse 8. Now, let's have 1 Timothy 3.16 read. Beyond all questions, the mystery in which true godliness springs is this. He appeared in flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, was taken up in glory. Alright. <clears throat> he was manifested in the flesh, justified in the Spirit. So there was nothing wrong with him. Uh, let's have Matthew 27, 19 read. Now this is Jesus on trial. And let's find if there's any place where he is found guilty. Okay. Are you sure it's 19? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, I have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Alright. Even Pilate's wife realized this was a righteous man. Let's have Luke 23, 4 read. 20, chapter 23, <clears throat> verse 4. All right, Pilate. The uh, Romans were known for their justice. Pilate says, I find no fault in this man. And verse 14 
Again, he says, there is no fault. And then verse 47, 2347. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. Certainly this was a righteous man. Another translation says, innocent man. So he had a centurion, Pilate, Pilate's wife, declare there's nothing wrong with him. And to add to this, the thief on the cross that was converted says to the other thief, he says, we deserve what we're getting. However, this man has done nothing wrong. So from every corner you look at, we see that Jesus Christ is innocent. And therefore, in Isaiah 50, verse 8, Christ makes the statement saying, He is near who justifies me, who will condemn me? There is nothing. And then in verse 9, Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is He who will condemn me? Yeah, verse 9, not verse 8. So, we have nobody was able truly to condemn Christ. Now the Jews with their... Uh, falsely condemned him. But everybody else that declared that he was not guilty. So here we have the impeccability of Jesus Christ. He never did anything wrong. And that was absolutely necessary for us. This is important for us. That Jesus Christ, there's nothing to condemn him. In our Westminster Larger Catechism, Verse 40 says, Why was it requisite? Uh, verse 39, Why was it requisite that the mediator should be man? Why did Christ have to be man? You know, he was fully God, fully man. It was requisite that the mediator should be man, that he might advance our nature. And then the very next phrase says, Perform obedience to the law. One reason he had to become man to take on flesh to be like us was to perfectly fulfill the law of God. Now Adam failed that pollution and corruption comes down through mankind. No single mere man was ever able to keep the law. But for Jesus Christ to keep the law was necessary for Him to qualify to be our Savior. He would not have qualified to be a Savior if He had ever once sinned. In other words, He kept the covenant works, covenant of works, as our federal head. Every single requirement of the law, He kept for us. And it's important that at the end of His life that we see that He had no sin. I think this is, this is an interesting issue because we are saved by works, just not our own. Yeah. 
God never uh, rescinds the covenant of works. Jesus Christ had to fulfill it on our behalf. Adam was our covenant head, and he failed, and now Christ is the covenant head of all of the redeemed. He has kept the law on our behalf. And he wouldn't have been able to do that if he would have had a spot or blemish. He's a lamb without spot or blemish. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, God made him, being Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So when Jesus was crucified for our sins, not only did he pay for our sins, but he imputed his righteousness to us. We have no righteousness of our own. It's all an alien righteousness. It's the righteousness of Christ. And it was so important that he kept the law perfectly in every respect. He was under the covenant of works. The covenant of works was never rescinded. But we look to Christ as our federal head who kept that for us. All right, anybody have anything to add to that? So important. Most Christians don't understand that. Most Christians still act like they're under the covenant of works. If I'm good, God lo- God likes me more. You know? Or they say I'm not that bad. Yeah. Well, the only thing you have to say to somebody that says I'm not that bad is whose standard are you using? Number one that matters. <laughs> or they say they're saved by grace. And then don't even worry about keeping the law. That's right. If you don't worry about keeping the law, you're not a Christian. Because the mark of the new covenant Christian is laid out by Jeremiah and the author of Hebrews that he has the law of God written in his heart and in his mind. That is the one distinction of the New Covenant Christian. That law is written on your heart. That law is put in your mind, in your inward parts. And you have a love relationship with the law of God, just like David did. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day long. So don't belittle Christ by thinking that you don't have to do what God tells you to do. You still are supposed to do what God tells you to do. Not to to save yourself, but to honor God. Okay, anything else? It's so important to understand that. Alright, back to your notes. A contrast is drawn here in verses 10 and 11. This is the two responses to the servant of the Lord. People respond to God's calling in one of two ways. It's external calling. There is no neutrality. There's no neutral ground. There's no third thing. Either you're saved or you're not saved. In verse 10, we have the case of one who relies on God and his servant for wisdom. Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of the servant? You walk in darkness and have no light. 
Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Now that's a person that's on the right path. That's a person that is probably saved. That's a faithful person who relies on the wisdom of God. And the other, verse 11, is one who rejects the servant and relies on his own wisdom. Look, all of you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with sparks, the walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks you have kindled. This you shall have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. God warns unbelievers time and time again, people that aren't faithful to Him, that they have no future. That they'd be better off if they were just annihilated right now. So there we have the two kinds of people. Those who have faith in God and those who, who want to make it on their own. Want to make it on your own. You're not going to do it. Alright, that's it for Isaiah 50. Anybody have anything else on that? <clears throat> Alright, not we're going to go to 51. Jill, if you look up for us, Romans 10, verses 13 through 17, for our introduction. Now, the problem with these captives is they do not hear. So we, we see in verses 1, 4, and 7, they start out in this way. Listen to me you who follow after righteousness. Verse 4, Listen to me, my people, and give ear to me, O my nation. And then verse 7, Listen to me, you who know righteousness. So we have a threefold um, imperative here to listen to God, which this has been a recurring theme. All right? Let's have Romans 10, 13 through 17 read for us. Romans 10, 13 through 17. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Okay, so it's the same thing in the New Covenant and the Old Covenant. God tells them time and time again, Evidently, they're not listening because he keeps telling them they have to listen. And then Paul says in Romans that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So preachers are sent to preach the Word of God so that people will hear and believe and be saved. And notice that preachers are sent by the church. They're not self-proclaimed preachers. They are prepared by the church and sent by the church. 
They don't take it upon themselves. Okay, so we have a recurring theme. And then in Isaiah 10.15, how can they preach unless they're sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Isaiah was sent, and that quotation in 10.15 that I just read comes from Isaiah 52, verse 7, which we won't get to today. But that is a quotation. Remember, Isaiah was sent. Isaiah was told, to put it in modern terms, lots of luck. Nobody's going to listen to you. <laughs> That's not what God said. <laughs> but uh, if you have a modern translation, that might say that. But anyway, <laughs> I paraphrase, that is. L-O-T-S-A, lots of. But anyway, he was told, you will have no success. They will not listen to you. <clears throat> In fact, they are going to persecute you. And uh, But he went anyway. He was called and Isaiah was sent. Just like in current times, preachers should be called and preachers should be sent. Alright, verses 1 through 12 I have there in your notes. Let's read, let's see, I think Mike, it's your turn to read. Um, just read the first three verses. Okay. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who gave birth to you in pain. When he was but one, I called him. Then I blessed him and multiplied him. Indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and her wilderness. He will make like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and a sound of a melody. All right. In your notes, we are told three times to listen and three times to look. We don't have notes. Oh, I'm sorry. This is it right here. One page. All right, three times to listen, three times to look. times to listen, three times to look. Verse 1, listen to me and also look to the rock from which you were hewn. And then verse 2, look to Abraham. And in verse 6, to look on the earth beneath. So, Three times to look, three times to listen. 
It's actually a fourth time. Lift your eyes to heaven. Okay, good. That's right before it. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Lift up your eyes to heaven and look to the earth beneath. All right, the idea is theirs to look and to listen. So Isaiah is encouraging the people again. He is not encouraging all of them, but only those who are faithful. Because he's talking to those who follow after righteousness and seek the Lord. So all of this applies to believers, to those that are faithful to God, not to those who are unfaithful. He tells them to listen in verse 1 and to look in verse 1 and 2. He is going to build up their faith. Alright, three reasons given to help increase their faith. One is He made a great nation from one couple. He says, look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah who born you. For I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. Now out of all the pagans on the earth, He called Abraham. One person and Abraham, Sarah went with Abraham. But he made a great nation from one couple. Alright? And if he did that, he can certainly help them. This whole nation that's now in captivity. Look what I did with Abraham. Y'all can, you people can still glorify me. Alright, so let's have verses 4 through 6 read by Alanda. Listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. Instruction will go out from me. My justice will come before the light of the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way. And my arm will bring justice to the nations. The islands will look to me and wait and hope for my arm. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke and the earth will wear away like a garment and its, its inhabitants die like flies but my salvation will last forever and my righteousness will never fail okay so the second point there is God's message will go out to the whole world with saving power with everlasting saving power Law will proceed from me, and it will be a light to the peoples. My righteousness is near. My salvation has gone forth. My arms will judge the people. So it's not just a message that is going to finally be just to the Jews. It's going out to the whole world. And then the third part of that, though they will be reviled, they will be vindicated. Verse 7 says, Listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation from generation to generation. So though they're being reviled now, remember Psalm 137, though they're being reviled now, they will be vindicated. <clears throat> okay, that's as far as we will get today. Chase? Do we have time for a question? Go ahead. 
and verse um, 6. And then there's some that believe that um, so the heavens and the earth as we know them now will never be destroyed. Uh, I'm not sure what your position is on, on that, but how do we, we deal with this? Um, the heavens will vanish like smoke, the earth will wear out like a garment, and then you dwell in the and not like a cannon. Is that showing a future indication of a future destruction of the earth and the heavens? Or that First of all, I do agree with that position. And then the, uh, I'm thinking, now I haven't really studied that outright. I mean, I'm just thinking right now. I hadn't really prepared to do much about that in this lesson. I'm, uh, the, this salvation of God will be forever according to that. Um, Let's let's do that next week. We're we're right on the edge of time. I want to prepare a little bit more for that, and uh, somebody may have to help me out on that. That'll be fine. I always like a little help from my friends. I'm not going to help because I have to be through with that. <laughs> that we're going to be on the earth forever. Okay. No, Laura? that that everything will be destroyed and recreated. I think that's that was yeah. your point, right? Yeah, I don't agree with that. I just wanted to clarify uh, about Bud and Marsha. Bud never told me he had COVID. Uh, he did say last week that Marsha had tested positive on home kit, but he never said that he had COVID. He just said he had the crud, I think he's used. <laughs> okay. So, I didn't want to... That's what the test shows is you got some kind of crud. On verse 6, which we'll look at next week, there's there's a wide variety of views on that. Um, so we'll we'll look at one or two. We're not going to spend ten years on it. And and then um, I'm going to get into a little bit of Christian philosophy next week to help us out on building our Christian world and life view. We're going to look at... Um, well, I'll let you know what we're going to look at. Uh, we're not going to get into it today. Okay, Chase, will you close us in prayer, please? Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to meet together.